Welcome to this episode of New Renaissance Bookcast with me, David Lorimer of the Scientific and Medical Network, where I review books across a wide range of disciplines. In this episode, I'm going to be reviewing two very important volumes on consciousness studies, which have featured in our last two Galileo summits, the recordings of which you can find on the Scientific and Medical Network website in the members area. So the first one is called Is Consciousness Primary? and it's edited by Stefan Schwartz, Marjorie Willicott and Gary Schwartz. The American writer Charles F. Harnell, 1866-1949, published his book The New Psychology in 1924, just as J.B. Watson's behaviorism was on the rise, and this became the new psychology, or even non-psychology of the day, since it denied the very existence of consciousness. Harnell was part of the influential New Thought movement, which I've studied in some detail, and he's best known for his remarkable work, originally a correspondence course, called The Master Key System, published in 1916, and that had a huge influence on Napoleon Hill. Other notable thinkers in this mode were the transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson, see his essay on the Oversoul, Ralph Waldo Trine, in tune with the Infinite, which sold two million copies, William James, Judge Thomas Troward, the Edinburgh Lectures on Mental Science, etc., Wallace Wattles, who influenced Rhonda Byrne, and the extraordinary Walter Russell and Earl Nightingale. A central contention of new thought is that there is one principle or consciousness pervading the entire universe. As this consciousness is omnipresent, it must be present within every individual. Each individual must be a manifestation of that omniscient, omnipotent and omnipresent consciousness. Your consciousness is therefore identical with the universal consciousness. All mind is one mind. Each individual is the individualization of the universal, the cosmic mind. This is a quote from Charles Harnell. Other writers express this view in almost identical terms. In other words, they would all answer the question posed by the title of this book, Is Consciousness Primary?, with a resounding yes. It is an interesting thought experiment to imagine that new thought had been adopted by mainstream psychology instead of behaviorism, with its insistence on the adequacy of the third-person perspective to the exclusion of first-person experience. Interestingly, Harvard already turned down the offer of money for a chair of psychical research as early as 1911, the year after William James's death, and one can't help thinking that his influence might have led to a different outcome. It has taken us a hundred years to catch up with where William James and some of his contemporaries left off. Already in his Ingersoll Lecture on Immortality, published in 1898, he was arguing for the plausibility of what is now called filter theory of the relationship between consciousness and the brain, as argued by many contributors to this volume, a view also espoused by F.C.S. Schiller at Oxford and by Henri Bergson in Paris. This book is the first in a series of volumes by the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences, www.aapsglobal.net, under the general heading Advances in Post-Materialist Sciences. As such, it is a seminal volume that has required reading for open-minded scientists and academics 
seeking a rigorous expansion of our understanding of consciousness and who are dissatisfied with the limitations and restrictions imposed by the pervasive materialistic mindset in academia. Importantly, the authors draw on both their personal and professional experience and in this way address issues linking science, philosophy and spirituality. In twelve, The twelve chapters are divided into three sections, maths, physics and consciousness, neuroscience and consciousness, and psychology, psychiatry and consciousness. The authors are all well-known researchers in these fields, and it is possible in a relatively short review to highlight only a few themes and contributions, although they are uniformly of a high standard. One central theme is how scientists changed their minds about the nature of consciousness, when they were all trained within the worldview of scientific and medical materialism. The broad answer is personal experience, combined with pioneering experiments and logical analysis. Gary Schwartz considers this issue in relation to belief in survival of consciousness after physical death, emphasising the importance of convergent information and outlining five essential additive criteria of assessment. Reason and scientific theory scientific evidence, a community of credible and trustworthy believers, direct personal experiences, and finally, responsible consideration of scepticism about criteria 1 to 4. This calls for what he characterises as eagle science rather than ostrich science towards integrated pig-picture thinking. Gary also proposes three types of post-materialist theories. A those that are a subclass of physicalist theories, b. dualist and panpsychic theories where two tracks exist alongside each other, and c. those where post-materialist theories are seen as primary, which is the main focus of this volume. He builds up his case with great logical rigour, describing a number of experiences totally inexplicable on the basis of type 1 theories, all of which puts his conclusions beyond reasonable doubt. Few readers will be familiar with the work of Edward Close, whose chapter is concerned with the mathematical unification of space, time, mass, energy and consciousness. On the basis of his theoretical work and personal experiences, he has no hesitation in stating that consciousness is primary, quote, because I have proved it to my satisfaction using hard, using hard evidence, including experimental data and rigorous mathematical logic, end quote. He makes the obvious point that our only direct knowledge of reality is through experience of consciousness, which means that consciousness must be included in any truly scientific analysis of reality, as many of the great physicists like Max Planck and Schrödinger had already realised nearly 100 years ago. For Close, pure consciousness is pervasive, undifferentiated and unlimited, which sounds a lot like the universal mind of Charles Harnell. It turns out that consciousness is the missing element in a theory of everything, as envisaged by the, class, by the standard model. Close develops his case with exemplary rigour, proposing the primary function of consciousness as drawing the distinction of self from other as the basis of all cognition, then organising this into meaningful patterns. He proposes a triadic rather than binary calculus, which he elaborates in considerable technical detail, introducing the new term Gimel to denote a third non-physical form of reality beyond relativity and quantum physics that is required for atomic and subatomic stability 
allowing them to quantify the impact of consciousness on physical reality in the equations of science, and removing the need to postulate dark matter and dark energy. Much of the detail is beyond the general reader, but will be readily understandable by mathematical physicists. This also applies to the following contribution by Menes Kapitos on bridging the perceived gap between science and metaphysics, although his three principles of complementarity, recursion and creative interactivity are all readily understandable as part of a participatory universe in which we live the living presence and realise that we are essentially this. Dean Radin, Marjorie Willicott, Stephen Schwartz, Diane Hennessy-Powell, Larry Dossie and Mario Beauregard all weave significant elements of their personal journeys into their chapters and these frequently open them to enlarged modes of perception that call into question the limits of their professional education. The same happened to Swedenborg in 1743. They systematically outline lines of empirical evidence that challenge scientific materialism, all of which is extensively researched and documented. This leads them to postulate the primacy of consciousness, whereby mind is not produced by the brain. Marjorie explains her own energy-matter continuum model, contrasting it with the materialist Newtonian model, and recounting a remarkably evidential NDE from Dr. Bettina Payton, who, prior to this experience, during the birth of her third child, was a paid-up materialist. I found Diane Powell's chapter of particular interest. Her initial curiosity was piqued by an unsolicited psychic reading, and her book, The ESP Enigma, in, that, in her book, The ESP Enigma, she argues that consciousness acts like a force field, adding that the neuroscientific model is not only incomplete, but seriously out of date. It's sobering to realise that early SMN member Arthur Kessler published his book, The Roots of Coincidence, nearly 50 years ago. Diane attributes some of the resistance to ESP to a predominantly chemical rather than electromagnetic view of consciousness. Once the chemical model was adopted, evidence for telepathy no longer fitted science's paradigm. She's made a, a special study of acquired savant syndrome and will be presenting some of this research at our Beyond the Brain conference later in the year. Interestingly, Thomas J. Hudson discusses this syndrome in relation to the universal mind in his influential 1890 book, The Law of Psychic Phenomena. One of Diane's original contributions relates to the role of glial cells and astrocytes broadly within a quantum neuroscience model involving microtubules and magnetic dipoles that reflect and transmit biological light in our cells. She also discusses the potential role of the angular gyrus in psychic sensitivity. Larry Dossie summarizes his work on three eras of medicine, coining the term telecebo as a non-local exteriorization of a health professional's thoughts and intentions for the welfare of the patient. Philosophically, his framework is the one mind, and is a recontextualized statement of the universal mind with its implications that our sense of separateness is an illusion, also in ethical terms. We live in a deeply interconnected world where bonded people can telesomatically feel each other's bodily sensations at a distance. I call this empathetic resonance. Gary follows up with another chapter on what he calls supersynchronicity, 
with his own formulation of universal intelligent consciousness. He identifies the dogma of randomness as partly responsible for resistance to the phenomenon of synchronicity, for which he not only provides his own experiences and classification, but also a staircase of possible explanations with widening implications. He explains how he came to change his own mind and deconstructs the conventional notion of randomness as part of this argument. He then applies his own criteria from the first chapter in terms of analysis. The final contribution comes from the esteemed Charlie Tart, who has been working in this field for more than 50 years. He gives some useful definitions of what he calls essential science, essential spirituality, scientism and total materialism, citing both scientific evidence and personal experience in formulating his own working hypothesis, while remaining both humble and open in his conclusions. Sadly, due to lack of interest and time, the number of academics and scientists who will read even the best books arguing for a post-materialist perspective is very limited. For this reason, we've recently set up a communications group within the Galileo Commission to see how we can best structure and convey a coherent set of messages and talking points as part of our outreach to expand the evidence base for science of consciousness. We need a more sophisticated articulation of the overall conclusions that can be referred back to the literature and help counter the political and social power of institutionalised materialism and the pseudo-sceptical movement, which we hope will in turn embolden people to stand up and be counted in favour of a post-materialist view. So that's the first book. And the second book is Consciousness Unbound, edited by Edward F. Kelly and Paul Marshall. Roman and Littlefield, 2021, 515 pages, no less. In his endorsement of this seminal volume, Alan Wallace states that the unquestioning allegiance of mainstream science to the materialistic reduction of mind to brain has caused researchers to ignore empirical evidence that challenges this metaphysical belief. And in connection with Einstein and quantum locality, Heisenberg is quoted as saying, most scientists are willing to accept new empirical data and to recognize new results, provided they fit into their philosophical framework. But in the course of scientific progress, it can happen that a new range of empirical data can be completely understood only when the enormous effort is made to enlarge this framework and change the very structure of the thought processes. These will be familiar observations, even laments, to readers of this journal, listeners to this podcast, and supporters of the Galileo Commission. This book is the third in a hugely significant series originating at the Esalen Institute in 1998 and evolving into the Survival Seminar, or SIRSEM for short. The original intent was to discuss empirical evidence suggestive of post-mortem survival, and this evolved into a more systematic reassessment of materialist metaphysics that has become the received wisdom of the opinion elites of all today's advanced societies. This led to the appearance of Irreducible Mind in 2007 and Beyond Physicalism in 2015. These books, along with the present one, subtitled Liberating Mind from the Tyranny of Materialism, should be required reading for all undergraduates in psychology, philosophy and neuroscience but it is regrettably doubtful that the faculty would ever have heard, heard of them. 
The book is structured in three parts, Further Empirical Horizons, covering near-death experiences, cases of the reincarnation type, and precognition. The second part lays out five transphysical theoretical perspectives that could account for the evidence of the first part. Then the final part considers implications for science, humanities, and philosophy. Edward Kelly provides both an introductory overview and an epilogue. In this way, the book combines field research with theory. David Presti sums up a central message when he remarks that a variety of metaphysical systems exist that can accommodate such an expanded science, neutral and dual aspect and reflexive monisms, and analytical idealism among them. We need not let our assumptions regarding metaphysical frames limit our capacity to expand a science of consciousness. The mechanistic and materialistic thinking that underpins transhumanism and the rapid deployment of technocratic systems regards the human being as nothing more than a complex biological machine operating in a dead universe devoid of meaning and purpose. It seems self-evident within this worldview that the brain gives rise to consciousness and that survival beyond death is by definition impossible. I call this the central dogma of neuroscience. This view was not shared by the great 19th century pioneers of psychology and psychical research. William James, Frederick Myers, Henri Bergson, and although he is not mentioned here, F.C.S. Schiller. And despite the dominance of third-person perspective for over 100 years, the evidence supporting their views has grown, and the authors in this volume arrive at similar conclusions for the same reasons, namely the theoretical inadequacy of physicalism in addressing the types and range of evidence considered here. Bruce Grayson Jim Tucker and Bob Rosenberg provide scholarly and authoritative accounts of near-death experiences, cases of the reincarnation type, and precognition, along with their implications for an expanded metaphysics and a science of consciousness, especially with respect to the shortcomings of the mind-brain production theory. Grayson rightly concludes that only when we expand models of mind to accommodate extraordinary experiences such as NDEs will we progress in our understanding of the relationship between consciousness and the brain. Similarly, after a thoroughgoing analysis of representative studies, Tucker concludes that none of the conventional interpretations can adequately explain large numbers of cases, which demonstrates the need for a post-physicalist conceptual framework that can incorporate the results into a larger understanding of reality. Similarly, the chapter on precognition obliges us to reconsider conventional ideas of time, space and causality. Rosenberg arrives at a position that he calls determinationism rather than determinism, where free will and an accurately foreseen future are not opposites. The second part provides a range of different metaphysical perspectives and engages readers in a complex and careful philosophical analysis in arguing for specific positions. In the past decade, as Jeff Kripal notes in his contribution, there's been a move in philosophy towards various forms of panpsychism, which is also reflected here. Roderick Maine considers mystical experience in the scope of C.G. Jung's holism, pivoting around his visionary experience of 1944 and taking into account his discussions of Indian insights into the psyche and the nature of the self in arriving at a formulation of panentheism. 
This also raises the more general question of the evolution of consciousness in the sense of God coming to know him slash herself through human realization, a theme taken up by Federico Fagin in his chapter entitled Consciousness Comes First. Here he gives a detailed explanation of his theoretical perspectives derived from quantum field theory while reflecting on his own profound experience where he concluded that the essence of reality is a substance that knows itself by self-reflection, and its self-knowing feels like an irrepressible and dynamic love. He notes that this experience contained an unprecedented force of truth, because it felt true at all levels of my being. And he has the profound realisation that I am a point of view of one, that's capital one, This changes his world from inside out. His subsequent discussion is both dense and clear, providing a new conceptual framework of consciousness units with the three fundamental properties of consciousness, identity and agency. The detail provides material for careful study that is impossible to summarise in a short review. Suffice to say that it advances an exciting new metaphysics that respects interiority distinguishes between information and symbols, and demonstrates that computers can never be conscious in the sense of understanding. Max Velmans asks if the universe is conscious in his lucid essay on reflexive monism and the ground of being. Here he extends his previous work while restating his basic premises in a position that potentially overcomes the challenges of previous formulations of idealism, dualism and reductive materialism, combining first- and third-person perspectives. There's no real separation between what we normally think of as the external physical world and what we normally think of as conscious experience. William James made a similar point in his subtle discussion of rustling trees. Max compares his view with Advaita Vedanta and emerging formulations of cosmopsychism. He steers a careful course between reversion to the ground of being and monadic, individualized conscious survival. Bernardo Castro presents his understanding of analytic idealism after reviewing the main problems of mainstream physicalism, as well as bottom-up panpsychism, a metaphysics that posits spatially unbounded universal phenomenal consciousness to be nature's sole fundamental ground. He argues that we and other living beings are merely dissociated mental complex, alters, of this fundamentally unitary universal mind, and that this dissociation unravels at death. From this angle, life dissociation may be the way universal consciousness becomes metacognitively aware of itself. Readers can appreciate some parallels with Federico's views outlined above, and the possibility of consciousness becoming unbound. Glenn Alexander McGee explains in his Neo-Hegelian theory of mystical experience that we literally feel ourselves to be part of the whole and embody a process whereby the whole, absolute spirit for Hegel, achieves consciousness of itself. David Presti teaches neurobiology and psychology at UC Berkeley and in his contribution reviews the backstory of contemporary science that excludes the role of mind and consequently blocks the expansion of metaphysical assumptions where there is in fact a mutual enfolding of mind and world and an interconnectivity linking minds across space and time. He suggests five ways forward. Adopting a more expansive metaphysical frame, radically expanding empiricism, 
connecting with fundamental physics, exploring mind-body medicine and placebo effects, and cultivating dialogue with spiritual traditions. Once more, the expansive work of William James comes to the fore, and David wonders if we need a collective spiritual emergency to catalyse the transformation of the physicalist worldview to allow for an expanded science of consciousness. Jeff Kripal brilliantly summarises and extends the argument of his recent book, The Flip, by taking the kind of paranormal and mystical experiences discussed seriously as relatively reliable access to the actual structure and nature of consciousness and the cosmos. Such experiences are regarded as impossible within the dominant ethos of the humanities, yet they lie at the origin of all major spiritual traditions and are now calling us to expand our worldview and reformulate the humanities as the practice of consciousness studying consciousness coded in culture, a move that brings humanity and human experience back to the centre. And in fact, consciousness also underpins the sciences. In classical Greece, non-dual and direct gnosis was regarded as a higher form of knowledge, but this is currently relegated into the margins. The overall thrust of this book suggests that we should once again this should once again become central in the process reconnecting ourselves with our metaphysical and cultural roots. Co-editor Paul Marshall provides a magisterial survey of the metaphysical landscape of mind beyond brain, including a penetrating critical analysis of the philosophical perspectives in the second part, while also outlining the importance of C.D. Broad's basic limiting principles as limiting restrictions on current ways of thinking. In the context of the quantitative-qualitative property distinction, he raises 14 fundamental theoretical questions for consideration and also advances essential criteria for good theories. He then reviews the major philosophical positions, pointing out that they all create their own epistemological and ontological challenges and showing how no representations in language can give a complete account of lived experience. A map can never be the territory. He himself recapitulates the arguments of his impressive 2019 book, The Shape of the Soul, modifying Leibniz's monadology, where each of us is one of these cosmic subjects at a deeper level of self, hence the potential accessibility of these experiences to us. In his epilogue on our emerging vision and why it matters, Ed Kelly argues that physicalism is not only incomplete but also unsound in its anchoring in classical physics, a point also made by Federico Fagin, as a philosophical position that is no longer consistent with our deepest physical science. We need to move towards some form of evolutionary panentheism, whereby this universal consciousness or universal self that is the source of the manifest world is in some sense slowly waking to itself as evolution of more, biolog- more complex biological forms enables fuller expressions of its inherent capacities. I agree that this vision is both scientifically defensible and spiritually satisfying, while also expanding human possible possibilities and potentials based on deep interconnectedness that entails mutual care and support not only of humans, but of the whole of life on our planet. This is undoubtedly one of the most important books of the year and deserves the widest possible readership. So you'll appreciate that these are extremely important volumes 
and are well worth reading. So I encourage you to do so.